0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: I'm Steve, I'm a sexaholic. And I want to throw out that I've been very afraid about coming up here today, as a couple of the speakers have mentioned, um, PTSD. I don't want to talk a lot about it because it's not part of my SA recovery, but I do have PTSD, and one of my triggers is being the center of attention in front of a group of people, and the larger the group, the larger the trigger. And so I'm actually kind of grateful that I'm not as scared right now as I imagined I would be. I've been scared a lot today thinking about being up here, but thinking about being up here was not part of what I was instructed to do, so that's on me. Um, Um, I uh, first began to feel inadequate, unworthy, alone, and afraid when I was about six years old. And at that time, I- I'm not sure why. There may be some more traumatic events that I can't remember, or it could be a genetic thing. I just don't know. But at, at that time, at that age, at six years old, I began having sexually deviant thoughts um i um, I would get sexually aroused by certain children 's feet, and i didn 't know what sexual arousal was, but I learned real quickly that this wasn't something that other people felt, and so um, and, and they reacted strangely to the ideas and and so the idea that our insides never match what we saw on the outsides of others is very real for me. And many, my memory doesn't work so good when I'm scared. Um, Early on, we came to feel disconnected, Um, that disconnect felt. I began to turn inside, and I began to try to control my sexual thoughts and feelings. I was able to repress them for, I don't know, six or eight years. And then I went through puberty, and I could not stop staring, uh, fantasizing, getting aroused, having very shameful thoughts, and being terrified that other people knew what I was thinking and being terrified of what they would do if they found out. Um, I... Um, you know, we tuned out with fantasy and masturbation. We plugged in by drinking in the pictures, the images, and pursuing the objects of our fantasies. We lusted and wanted to be lusted after. I, um, I found some relief later, uh, you know, in early college I began using drugs and alcohol and found a crowd that, you know, if I just used drugs and alcohol and shared what I had, then then I would be accepted. And that's what I really wanted. I wanted to be accepted. Um, I wanted to be safe. I was afraid and I wanted to be safe. I felt worthless. And I wanted to be loved. This is all about feeling unloved. And the more I kept this on the inside, um, the more disconnected I became from you and myself guilt, self-hatred, remorse, emptiness, and pain, driven ever inward, away from reality, away from love, lost inside ourselves. That sense of separation was very real, and that longing and craving for acceptance was very real. And um, the more I pursued the false solution that our disease offers us, the further away that love became. Um, I don't want to spend all, all the time talking about the problem. Um, I really appreciated what our speaker last night said. He was talking about, I don't remember the exact words, but he, he talked about his sickness and, 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 and said he became really, 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 really sick. Um, there were lines I thought I'd never cross. Um, I had a great need to feel good, to do things, to compensate for the self-hatred and worthlessness and fear that I, that I carried around all the time, numbing it out most of the time. But now I know it was always there. It was always controlling me. Um, when I, uh, the, year, the year I came, first came to SA at the beginning of the year, I was ready to commit suicide. And um, I was finishing up a residency in family medicine that year. I was 36. I was a little older than your typical medical student. I'd done some other things uh, between college and medical school. But um, I had crossed the line and i could no longer there was no there was no drug or behavior that could any longer silence the growing terror that i was feeling and um i remember i remember um just wanting to die i'd had that feeling before but this time it wasn't going away and it was getting stronger and, uh, and I didn't own a gun, but I had, um, I had cared for lots of botched suicides in the ER, and I know how to do it right. And I was having thoughts that were scaring me. And I had this one thought, well, maybe I could, I could tell somebody and, and get some help. And, uh, I was like that would be suicide. And my own voice said, yes, Steve, you're already thinking about suicide. If you try that and it doesn't work, you can always go for the bullet then. And so I started a process of getting honest. I think it would have been a lot less painful if I'd gotten completely honest in one shot. It took me about six months to put everything on the table. Um, At that point, I was in a treatment center in... um, Arizona, and um, I told all my secrets and, and I knew that there would be a report to the authorities required and I didn't know what was going to happen after that but um, I knew it wasn't going to be good. Um, the good news is that after I got all of those secrets out I saw a small group uh, of faces, like the faces in here. I didn't see the hatred and the anger that I felt I deserved. The therapist was brilliant. He told me very flatly that that my behavior made him angry. It was wrong. It was hurtful. That I was not my behavior. And there was nothing in that room but love. Um, And I know that's what's in this room, and that's one of the things that makes me sad, that I get afraid because the love that I need is in here. And um, and this is the safest place in the world for me. So I'm a little bit crazy to be so afraid of you guys. Um, um, as a result of these uh, things that I disclosed, I, I was convicted of statutory rape. My victim was a 15-year-old boy. I don't want to say boy, but that's what he was. Um, I did not go to jail. My sentence was suspended. I was given probation. I had to register as a sex offender. My medical license was revoked. I lost my marriage. I went through a lawsuit that was settled, finally, with my victim's family. Declared bankruptcy. Um, Lost all the Friends and associates I had from my medical training and and my job. Lived in a halfway house for four years in Nashville. And I found SA. I came in the doors of SA in November of 2001 when I had three months and I was fresh out of treatment. And I started learning how to live. I started learning how to bring what was inside out and I started learning how to be present in the real world with the love that I need, that I've needed, always was. Um, This morning when I was freaking out about having to be up here tonight, I was thinking of writing stuff down, and I'm going to say this, I'm going to say that. And God's like, no, don't write anything down. Just get up there, and I'll tell you what to say. So, but I did write some things down, some little things in case I stopped. I appreciate what one of the speakers said last night that in PTSD, there's a trigger that causes me to relive some trauma. But in these rooms, I can relive recovery. I've been in front of a microphone before. I've been scared like this before. And so I prayed a prayer. I mean, when I last time I was in a microphone like this? It was a really powerful experience. It changed me. It changed my insides. And so I prayed the prayer, God, I know you were with me then. Help me know you're with me now. And uh, that prayer has been answered. I'm not alone up here. And um, when I come into these rooms and I do... What I, what suggested. The way I lived wired my insides and my emotions to where I can't rely on them to guide my behavior. I mean, if I relied on my emotions, I would have never gotten up here. And I'll be honest, one of the things that made me less afraid sitting in the chair listening to Ellie speak was the fantasy that she would talk so long that there would be no more time and I wouldn't have to get up here. <laughs> but once i got some fear removed there god help me keep it away and so i i've been when that when that insight when i when i agree that i need to follow these directions that go against the way i feel something powerful happens I've got a man that I sponsor who is just like me. And he had a legal situation very similar to mine. I knew because of the instructions that I've followed in these rooms and the things that you have said, that I was supposed to be in the courtroom the day he got sentenced. And it's a longish story. There's not time to tell the whole thing, but the short version is this. In that courtroom where he was being sentenced, there was a gift for me. And... All I can tell you now in this short time is that I was forever changed. I'd be in the courtroom the day he began serving a 15-year sentence without the possibility of early release. If I had not followed the direction that I received through this program, I never would have been in that room and i never wouldn't have received that gift and i would have never known that i'd missed it that man's name is chris he had a year of sobriety when he was in that courtroom today he's about to finish 10 years of his 15 year sentence he has 11 years of sobriety last week Following directions is the most important thing that I do. The sponsor says my power my my house is not the source of the power in it there's a light bulb and a light fixture, and there's a switch. I bought the light bulb and I put it in there, and I paid an electric bill and I flipped the light switch on and off but there's been hundreds of years and millions of lives that had made it possible for hydroelectric dams to be built, to flow into power stations, and bring light bulbs and put wiring in my house so that when I flip the switch, the lights come on. The directions in our literature are very simple. Do these things. And then the power that God has put in, in this room will flow into you, and you'll be able to live, and you'll be able to be who you are supposed to be. The... The things that I did are not who I am. When I was in the old solution, that was my reality. That was who I was. I was inadequate, unworthy, and I deserved to be alone and afraid. That's not the truth, but it was my reality. When I follow these instructions, I can come into a new reality. I had a A.A. teacher who taught me the things that you do are not who you are. If they were who you are, they w- you wouldn't have been dying inside when you did them. I'm going to close with this. An A.A. teacher, very wise man, who I never met. He was a teacher, one of my teachers, but I've heard him speak on CD. I'm very grateful for CD's. In recordings, he said that I always thought that I felt like I didn't belong because you didn't accept me. But you accepting me has absolutely nothing to do with feeling like I belong. It's about me accepting you. When I accept you exactly as you are and I stop trying to compare my insides to your outsides, then I enter into the reality that we're all children of the same God. There's a reading about acceptance that many of you have heard. And I'd like to read it one more time. It's on page 417 of the AA Big Big. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I'm disturbed, it's because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the same way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what change needs to be changed in me and my attitudes. I learned a prayer from a newcomer it had been right in front of my face for about 15 years, and I never noticed it. And the prayer is, God, please connect with me and make me whole. Thank you.